Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Welcome to another edition of Stargazing, a Dallas Stars podcast. Uh, tonight we have a special episode. Uh, we, we brought in Stephen Besser for uh, a little talk about Texas Stars, and that was enough to get uh, our managing editor, Taylor Baird, uh, onto the call. So I uh, appear to be the only uh, non-credentialed member of the press involved here, but uh, that's why I got the job of introducing. So I guess uh, that's the way it works. So welcome, guys. Uh, how's things going? Well, uh, it's it's been uh, an interesting season down here in Texas. We'll talk a lot about it here, but uh, everything else has been going great. It's uh, it's great to obviously have hockey. Uh, I think the last time we chatted, you know, things were a little bit more tenuous. So it's good to be here. Yep, and, and just so just so everybody knows, uh, Stephen is uh, is of course the. Uh, prime uh, motivating factor behind 100 degree hockey which is the premium uh, texas stars site for coverage so uh he 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 knows what he's talking about last we talked i think we were feeling pretty good about the texas stars beginning of the season looked like they had good veteran leadership on the team jake gottinger was in net uh everything looked pretty solid and uh maybe started out that way and then uh, things happened what do you what do you take from the season so far, Stephen? I mean, stop me if you've heard this one, but consistently inconsistent, right? It's you look at the stars record and they will go on some pretty decent stretches. You know, they'll have point streaks. But right now, uh, we're actually through the magic of technology recording in the middle of the Texas Stars game. They're currently leading against Grand Rapids, but they're coming in on a, a three game losing streak, which is something that they've done several times. This, this season, three-game losing streaks, zero points at all. And it seems like when they finally catch, kind of catch a break and, and go on a streak, um, like they had a six-game uh, point streak just recently on the road, actually, of all things, uh, which is a really great uh, stretch, then they go off and they only win one of their next seven. It, it's just that inconsistency where they doesn't feel like they can catch a break um, the players, as we'll talk about here, you know, individual players that we're working on, um, have not performed the way that you would expect. Um, you know, you haven't had those top prospects be the best players on your team. And that is something that you absolutely need if you're going to be successful. And so Texas right now, anybody else can read the division standings is is the last place team in their division. And you know, they need to get to fifth place through the weirdness of the AHL playoff rules this year in order to get into the postseason. And that's going to be a challenge, but they have about half the season still remaining and there's still plenty of time to make up. Okay, well, let's let's kind of work our way through and see where we got from the beginning of the season to where we are now. Um, and maybe we'll start from uh, from the net on out. So when the season started, we had uh, we had Jake Ottinger in net. Um, there were some people on the Dallas side who were disappointed. They wanted to see him up with the big club. Um, and then we then we had uh, oh who who was who was next in line? Uh, Adam Shield was uh, was going to back him up, and he was kind of the heir apparent to the to the uh, at least having the potential of becoming the backup of the future. Um, Things aren't that way right now. Um, we have Anton Hudobin, who's down with Texas, and then uh, Shield's still around, but he's sharing time with uh, with a guy named Matt Jerusik. So how, how did that all shape up? 
Yeah, if you'd believe it, uh, Texas has had six goaltenders play this year, which is not, you know, it's not the most uncommon thing in the AHL. Sometimes you have backups and such, but um, five of those have played at least five games. So it's really been pretty all over the place. Um, The one with the best record, uh, actually, is Matt Jurasek, who is an AHL contract. Um, He's a guy who who was actually with Texas last year during the the COVID year there where they only played a three-month season, but he actually never played a game. He was their third goaltender, the guy who was, you know, in case they needed somebody because they had a COVID protocol issue. Um, And they kept him on uh, kind of this this contract in Idaho. It's a pretty common thing where you'll kind of have a guy come into AHL training camp, and then if there's a need, he'll be the first guy that you call, even though he may not be on contract. He actually did get a contract from Texas eventually in the middle of the season. And he's got the best record of, of any of the folks who are currently active, uh, which is alarming when you look at the other guys who are on that roster. You talk about Anton Hudobin, right, who you would expect to come in and just, since he's an NHL caliber goaltender, play really well at the AHL level. He hasn't been as as good there as you would expect and and adam shield has i think been out of his depth a little bit probably could have used some time in the echl to be completely honest uh but he's got a sub 900 goal uh goals against or sorry excuse me sub 900 save percentage and and his goals against is above three and it doesn't look doesn't look like he is for what he is now like he's basically the, the starter um you know and and it doesn't look like he's got those stats and that he's there Right, and and certainly my watching of it the the last month or so, um, I almost feel more comfortable when Jerusik is in the game. He seems to at least have a little more confidence in in what he's attempting to do, and uh, yeah. I, I think there was a little pressure there because he, you know, he he had a stint up in the AHL with with what Wilkes-Barre uh, Scranton for That's for right. a couple of games, uh, and and then went down. Uh, I, I think he. He had a shutout with Wilson so uh, he, he was playing fairly well and kind of forced the, the team's hand to either give him a contract or maybe be looking elsewhere. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. Uh, that that Idaho, you know, is sort of this forgotten gem for the Dallas system and for the AHL uh, system specifically. They always seem to have guys who just, you know, are, are really excelling at that level. And you look at a guy like Jake Kupski, who's the other guy who was the goaltender. Um, when, when Matt Jurasek was signed, he was second in the goal in the ECHL in goals against and all these other different statistics. And the guy who was first was his guy also in net with him in Idaho, Jake Kupski. And he got signed on a deal to Colorado, I believe. And mm-hmm. so the two of them both got picked up on, on AHL deals. Um, and that's something that has been a, a really solid thing for Texas to have is you can stash guys in Idaho. Um, you bring them in on training camp and then, you know, sign them AHL deals in the middle of the season. But it's certainly concerning from a future development standpoint to look at at this roster and see that you've got, you know, a rookie Adam Shield and a rookie Matt Jurasek. And, you know, Jurasek is outplaying from an eyeball test and also just from a straight to statistical test outplaying the guy who you who you went out and got on a college free agent contract um, and who you were hoping would be a future NHLer. And, you know, it's his first season and you never know. And as we'll talk about, the rest of the team has not been great in front of him. But still, it's it's concerning to be sure. Yeah. 
and and not to do too deep the dive there, but you you also have Colton Point now, who's who's uh, playing for for Idaho, and uh, he was somebody that you certainly thought would would give a chance to do something at the HL level this year. Yeah, Point, you know, he's one of those guys that he came out early. This is kind of digging into the the history books, but he came out of college early out of Colgate because he wanted to try and beat Jake Ottinger to the pro ranks. And if you look at the two of their games and, and the way their things have developed, I really feel like Point could have majorly benefited from another year at Colgate um, and, and really having that ability to you know, not jump right into the professional ranks. Point hasn't had a single season in his career where he's had a save percentage above 900. Um, you know, he's a serviceable uh, ECHO goalie at this point, but he really needs to mature and grow at that level in order to have like an AHL career. And then you have to grow, mature and grow at that level to have an NHL career. And where he is in his development curve, it doesn't seem like he's going to be at that point. But we know that Jim Nill loves to keep assets if he can retain them. And so I was really you know, both surprised and not surprised to see Point uh, renewed this past season or, or qualified this past season. Um, but I was surprised because of his numbers, but then not surprised because it's Jim Nill, right? And if he has an asset, he's going to retain that asset. Right. Now, uh, staying one one last bit here on the goaltenders, um, what do you think Texas and the organization at large is trying to do with Hudobin? Because uh, it doesn't look like he's getting a whole lot of games down with Texas. Um, but as you said, you're talking about two rookies who are getting most of the time. So if there is a need for an NHL goaltender, you kind of need to make sure that that Hudobin is is ready to step into a game if need be. Yeah, that's a this is that challenging thing that you deal with in the AHL where you you have to both develop and win at the same time. It's not like minor league baseball, right, where you can just kind of, you know, it's okay if you, well, not okay, but you accept it if you have like a 0.15 winning percentage because you're, you're developing guys and that's what you care about ultimately. Um, the business model doesn't work that way in the AHL. So I don't think that if, but we've seen based on the taxi squad, we know that if there was an injury in Dallas, uh, they would not be calling up Adam Scheel, right? Um, but based on Anton Hudobin's time as a backup in Dallas and, and across the league, it seems like, at least in my perception, he can jump in at a moment's notice, right? And probably the, you know, only the uh, odd game every every few weeks is, you know, kind of what he needs to stay fresh. Now, it is curious that he hasn't played in about six games here. Uh, for Texas, um, and he has addressed as well. I haven't had an opportunity to discuss that with uh, Neil Graham, the head coach of, te- of Texas, uh, since they returned from uh, the road trip. So that's that's a point where he could also be, you know, part of the walking wounded. So let's move forward a little bit. Uh, talk about the defense, and and here there there's a lot of names that if you followed the Texas Stars for uh, for a couple of years, the names are going to look familiar. Uh, there's, uh, there's at least some veteran AHL guys who are, uh, who are playing defense, but especially in the, in the early parts of the year, one of the problems that the team had was that they were just giving up goals in bunches and they tightened that down quite a bit here, I guess, over the last month or so, but it's still not what we would consider to be the, what you could have thought would be a strength of the team going into the beginning of the year. Yeah, 
and and you really haven't gotten what you what you needed out of some of the more veteran signings also the first one to mention uh that might have sort of flown under the radar for dallas fans is andreas borgman was was a great signing i thought for for texas he ended up only playing 14 games um he had five points in those 14 games but he ended up only playing 14 games because he went back to sweden and you know, left his 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 NHL contract and is is now back in Sweden with uh, with his family. He just didn't feel like he could be away from his family in that regard um, anymore this season, and so that was a huge loss on the veteran leadership side of things. And you're almost back in that situation that we talked about last year, where, uh, gosh, last year they didn't have any uh, veteran leadership on the back end, and the most experienced player of all the players was was Ben Gleason who was, you know, second-year player, right? Yeah. Um, now they've got Alex Petrovic. He wears a letter for for Texas. Um, he's been around the league for quite a few years, but it's still a pretty green group, right? You've got Gleason. You've got Ryan Shea. Uh, Ciccone is, is only a few years in here. Rosberg as well. Um, it, it's a pretty green group overall. Um, and then you look at a guy like Thomas Harley, who right now at least is is in Dallas, right? Um, but he has not had the same year that he had last year, uh, especially on the offensive side. So, you know, that has been a, a, a challenge for, for his game overall. Uh, you look at the numbers that he put up last year in 30-something games, he had 25 points. Um, in 27 games so far this year, he's only got 11 points. Um, his plus minus is better, which is great. And that is something that he wanted to work on. But, you know, if part of his game is scoring goals, he didn't have a single one yet. Yeah, I mean, just watching him, he looks like he's more in control of his game, but that's kind of gotten in the way of his offensive creativity. Yeah, it, it, it's that it's that tough challenge of of harnessing the offensive talent in a way that you know is you can still be defensively responsible. And I mean, that's why he's still bouncing between the NHL and the AHL, right? You you want him to be reliable on every shift in a defensive way, but then, you know, may have him feel confident enough that he can jump into the plays. You know, somebody who's been having a lot of offensive success this year is Ben Gleason, right? Who leads, uh, leads defensive scoring on the team, 24 points. And, and he, you know, that's a key part of his game, right? That's definitely a key part of his game. And I think it's enough to probably like, he's the next guy I would pick uh, in terms of a call up for Dallas if they needed someone else. He obviously had that game in Dallas a few years ago during his rookie season where he, he got into just one game when they were really uh, searching for as many blue liners as they could. And he hasn't been back since. And he's been certainly very hungry, having seen some players pass him on the depth chart since then uh, to try and get back to Dallas. Stephen, what do you think has been the impact of Dallas's blue line being relatively healthy this season been in terms of consistency in the group down there? Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of shuffling, right? And, you know, knock on wood for the health of, of everyone in Dallas, of course. Um, but we, there's just been a lot of consistency. Aside from Borgman leaving, you've seen pretty much the same uh, group uh, night in and night out with just minor shuffling in that 6-7 type of position. Uh, for example, Texas tonight is playing seven defensemen, um, which is something they do every once in a while, right? Um, you see players like Dawson Bartow, uh, who's on a Dallas contract, Max Martin, who's not, who's on an AHL contract at that bottom, shuffle in and out. But for the most part, yeah, it, it has been very consistent. But it hasn't necessarily led to the results that you would hope for in terms of like working on chemistry and those sorts of things um, leading to, to 
to, you know, guys being able to uh, pick up plays and things like that in the way that you would expect. Now, one one question I have related to Harley. Um, I, I think last year, one of the things that, that you noticed toward the end of the year was that Harley ended up paired with Ben Gleason. And he'd spent most of the early part of the season um, paired with Joe Ciccone. And he really seemed to kind of thrive with somebody else who was out there who could move the puck and contribute on the offensive end. And, and then now this year, he's been kind of side by side with, uh, with, with Petrovic. And I, just your thoughts on, on whether, whether he plays better with a defensive defender or, or some other type of defender. I think the thing that you have to think about in that situation is not just the offensive versus defensive, but think about the reason why Dallas signed Alex Petrovic like broadly. You sign him to mentor a player like Thomas Harley, right? So that he sees what he does on the ice, off the ice, how he prepares, how he thinks it, how he thinks the game, and you pair him with a guy like Petrovic. So, you know, I think that that's, that just sort of makes sense to me is like you take your your hottest prospect um, on the defensive side and you pair him with your most veteran defenseman that you have so that one, yes, he covers the sins of of a rookie or a sophomore player, but also, you know, when they get off the off the ice, when they're sitting on the bench, um, you know, there's just that next level of of veterancy and hockey sense that they can impart to that player and say, you know, hey, you know, Harl's like, here's the things that I saw on that play. Here's the things I saw on that shift. You need to do this when I do this. Cover this forward, whatever it might be. Um, and we've seen Dallas do that a ton before, right? That's why you had players like, you know, Maxime Fortunis or uh, Andrew Bodner, Chuck, or going way back like Dan Jansevsky and guys like that signed because um, you pair them with the guys who are the the hot uh, next thing going on up to Dallas so that they can have success, um, right? You look at like a pairings of, you know, guys like Esselandell or um, for the time that he was here for a short while, John Klingberg, right, was paired with one of those more um, – veteran guys so that they can get kind of get that experience both through direct teaching and also through osmosis. Yeah, that, that does make a whole lot of sense. Um, how, spe- speaking of which, you, you, you mentioned Maxime uh, Fortunas. Uh, how, how has uh, that been going for your coach uh, concentrating on the D? So the stars brought him in this year. He was a longtime Dallas star, or Texas star and Dallas star. He was on Dallas contract for quite a few years. Um, one of the main things that he has helped to lead with the team is a complete shift in the way they've done their penalty kill, actually. And the team has done a really great job of um, they play more of a, a style where there's a really set. Um, it's hard to describe without drawing it out, but uh, they play a, a really set, you know, um, kind of, I guess you could say almost like flow chart of like, you know, if this happens, this happens um, sort of way. And it's very different than the way that even Dallas plays a penalty kill. Um, and they had a ton of success with it early on in the season where um, it was really catching power plays off guard. And they had, you know, top five penalty kill early on in the season, which was kind of interesting because they their record was kind of fair to middling. The players that have that have learned it, um, you know, it's taken them a little bit to pick it up, but it also plays to the benefit of some of the players who are, Uh, more skilled. And one of the nice things is it's been a multi-year project for Neil Graham to roll out that penalty kill. They're also using it in Idaho as well uh, with Everett Sheen and the team down there. Um, So that's been one of the main successes that Fortunus has had is rolling out that system for the penalty kill overall. 
So with with the D, um, other than Harley, uh, if if there are injuries in the second half of the season here, um, how do you see anybody from Texas contributing if if they get a call up? Yeah, it's a good question. I w- I would say that if I were to look at the list, you know, obviously as we know, it depends who who's injured and what kind of player you need. I think based on maturity and the level of uh, uh, you know experience that they have, I really I really like the game that Jess Coney has overall. You know, he's that kind of stay at home defensive defenseman, steady, able to really um, you know anchor a line like that. And I think he personally has, has a good, uh, a good inside line. You know, he doesn't have flashy stats, but that's not exactly what he's supposed to have. Right. That's not his thing. Um, but I will get certainly give a call out to Ryan Shea as well, who's had better offensive stats, but also, you know, his plus minus has been pretty good. He's been on the ice in positive situations. Um, you know, and he's getting involved in plays and, um, you know, see his name mentioned, and I, I don't write all the all the post game reports anymore. It's the great benefit of having staff writers, but you really see him see him involved in the play a ton um, and and getting called calls out call outs uh, as he uh, moves through the game. Yeah, now, now if only we can get him a goal that actually holds up. Yeah, he had one. He had one called back there um, uh, that that I saw there, but um, he's no goals, thirteen assists. So man, he's got to he's got to break uh, break through on that one and. Actually, see tonight, Jordan Kawaguchi. Speaking of guys who needed to break through, has has scored his first goal of the season. Um, not to preview the the goalies or the uh, forwards too much, but uh, that's uh, well, that's one of those things. Let, let's let's kind of move on to the forwards then. Uh, Kawaguchi is obviously somebody that we expected to have a pretty high, high impact, um, especially on a team that that is kind of lacking a bit on the playmaker side, and uh, and you know it's it's been a struggle, I think. Um, what 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 uh, what's what's happening with the forward group here? Uh, obviously, Dallas has some issues putting the puck in the net. Uh, there are certain aspects of that that seems to hold true in Texas as well. It's tough because you look at the like straight stat line. You know, you just look at who's who's up and who's down. Um, and we were discussing this a little bit before before we started the call. But the number. Uh, the the numbers straight would say like if you were going to make a call up it's Anthony Lewis or Curtis McKenzie, okay great problem neither one of them is on an NHL contract, yeah. um, they're both AHL players um, and you'd absolutely like we've discussed at length um, ad infinitum that you need those players but when you look at the successful teams in the AHL and the teams that really do well you as trite as it sounds, your best players have to be your best players. The guys who are your first and second round draft picks need to be at the top of your scoring table. They need to be contributing every night. They need to be big power play guys. They probably need to be penalty kill guys as well at this level so that you know that they're defensively responsible. But you look at the top three players, you've got Anthony Lewis, you've got Curtis McKenzie, and you've got Joel Esperance, who who will not be called up due to his uh, COVID vaccination status. And so you've got three players at the top of the of the table who Dallas can't call up. Um, so you see the first guy who usually gets that call up, Ty Delandria or Riley Damiani. Um, Damiani's been snake bit a little bit recently. He's actually not in the lineup tonight. I'm um, not sure why. We'll get an update on that post game uh, from from Coach Neil Graham. Uh, but you know he hasn't scored a goal since middle of December. Um, it's the middle of February, and that is you know part of his game. It's a huge part of his game, right? Is is goal scoring, and he's been relatively limited on on the. Um, on the assist side as well. So, you know, 
Dallas has not had those contributions from the players that they really expect to have contributions from. Um, and it's a little concerning for me, especially I look, as I look at, again, I mentioned a player like Damiani. Um, he won the Rookie of the Year last year in the AHL. And that's a huge, a huge award. Um, and players who win that award generally play at least 20 games in the NHL the season after they win it. Damiani's not on a great pace to actually hit that number right now. Um, and so that's that's one of those things where, you know, you, you wonder what's going on with his season. And, and you know, is there something that, that he can do to kind of turn it around as he uh, as he moves forward here? Dallas didn't graduate a lot of forwards um, from the AHL to the NHL, which is something that you would expect could impact a player like him and the quality of teammate that he's around. Um, so w- what do you kind of attribute to his struggle? Is it is it? like it can't be a system thing they're still running the same systems is it luck is it just that he's not playing in a way that he played last year that got him such success so there is one major thing that uh is missing and that is his line mate adam maskerin right um uh, mash as the guys call him and uh and riley damiani were line mates back in kitchener uh, when they were in their OHL days and then got hooked up and basically played on the same line all season last year. Um, and, you know, one and two in scoring, right, for the Texas Stars. Maskerin was qualified, but ultimately decided to go sign in Europe this summer. And so without that guy, he's had some success on a line with Curtis McKenzie early in the season, but it hasn't been that same level of chemistry as uh, he had with Maskerin. And I think that's contributed a little bit, his familiarity and those sorts of things as he's been going through the season, where he hasn't had as much of that, um, just that chemistry that, you know, it's 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 hard to quantify. It's almost impossible to quantify, but not having that obviously puts you in a position where you're not going to have the goals drop in the same way. Well, and, and I think Nick Baptiste also contributed to that line and kind of fit as a, as a perfect third for them because he could be the physical presence there. And, and I know MASH is pretty big, but, uh, but the trio where, where Baptiste could go to the, to the net and those two could be creative really was dynamic the whole year. And that, that once that line got put together, um, you know, they, they didn't get separated, right? It was a pretty incredible uh, lineup for them all year. And Baptiste, again, another one of those AHL guys that just made a big difference for for Riley Damiani in the season that he had. Um, just big body going in the corners or going in front of the net, clearing things out, um, causing havoc. Uh, and and Damiani and Maskerin were very quick to to put a lot of praise on on Nick Baptiste for the, what he was able to do for them and say that, you know, there was there's no way they would have had the season that they had without him. Um, and he also signed elsewhere right? He also uh, left. He had a great year. So, you know, that's part of the challenge with, with AHL contracts. These guys can go somewhere new year to year because um, pretty much all AHL contracts are one year. So what uh, we, have, we have a couple other rookies out there. Um, talk a little bit about the development of, uh, of Oscar Beck and uh, Frederick Karlstrom. Yeah, they played mostly like, you know, bottom six minutes. You know, I, I've been impressed. I didn't exactly know what to expect. To be honest, you never know. A lot of times it's hard to watch tape, watch, you know, a lot about the European prospects. Um, I think they've done a good job contributing where they've been able to, both at 16 and, and 14 points, respectively, for for Bach and Karlstrom. 
Um, but they've played those more, you know, bottom six roles. It's one of those things where you'll expect them, if they have a good season this year, they'll move into that middle six or, you know, top nine, however you want to roll it, um, and be more of a call-up option for Dallas next season. Um, that's kind of the progression that you generally see for guys like that, you know, unless there's something particularly surprising, if they have a great summer, or they have a great camp and they, they're able to make it out of camp. You know, it's another one of those ones, like you look at like Jacob Peterson, who was only here for a little while and obviously is now with Dallas. You know, you didn't, I didn't really know what to expect with him when he came in, when he came in in the year. Um, and obviously he's surprised and there's, it's just hard to tell with those guys who you don't have a lot of tape on um, from just not being able to watch a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, from the European League, myself at least. Yeah, and you know, I, I think they both actually done fairly well. I thought in the bottom six roles, uh, I think so too. especially Bach. Uh, he's uh, he has a little bit of an edge to him, and and on the penalty kill and in defensive situation, he's he looks pretty hard to play against. He's a guy who's been, you know, actually the the two of them with Tufty uh, were aligned for a while. And, you know, the three of them formed a really solid, uh, you know, bottom six group uh, that could do a lot defensively and also contribute on offense. You know, Tufty had the ability to to really get in there and, um, you know, had had some early success this year, thanks to being paired with those two. Um, and, and, you know, that's obviously something that you want to see for a guy like Tufty who's a first round pick. Uh, to continue his development and hopefully get him to a point where he can be a regular contributor at the NHL level. Right. And let's kind of move on to Tufty and, and maybe tied to Landria, you know, the, the, the number one draft picks out there. Uh, Tufty certainly came into the year with, with a big, bit of a burst of confidence and, and it uh, really upped his game. Maybe has fallen off a little bit as the season has progressed, but, but then Delandria has, Delandry's been good, but it, it's kind of hard to pick something that he's excelled at. It's, yeah, it, it's a really tough thing because, you know, longtime fans of, of Dallas and folks who paid attention to Texas, the Stars have not put a lot of blue chip prospects into the, the Texas system. Yeah, when you look at the prospect report, there's a lot of players who are uh, who are who are kind of those you know oh future bottom six NHLer right um, and when you look at that as an AHL team that's a tough position to be in because you have to do a lot of filling in um, with positions and needs overall and Delandria and Tufty are both you know, it's a really tough go for Texas fans because they're you know they're first round picks and and I know obviously Dallas fans definitely want them to be. Uh, worth the round pick that they made on them as well. Um, but if you really want them to be contributors at the NHL level, generally, you know, I've kind of come around to the feeling over the past several years that you just basically have to blow it out of the water in the NHL. Like, it, as much as it pains me to say it, it doesn't feel like Riley Tufty is going to be an NHLer just because of where he is in his development and where he should be based on the expectations that he has on him and, and kind of the development curve that he should be following. Um, and so, you know, you want to make sure that Delandry doesn't get put into that same bucket as well. He's obviously contributing quite a bit. And, you know, the past couple of games here for Texas, you know, he's been a motor on offense as well, um, scoring some goals and such for the team, even as they've had a not as great record. But I, your point is well taken. 
right? Whereas like, what is his one thing that he does really well? What's going to make it like, we need a goal scorer. We need a guy who can distribute the puck. We need a penalty killer. And I just kind of shrug. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, it's really it, tough to say. And and I take a look at, at what Tufty's been doing this year. And, and I'm almost at the point where I think Tufty has more of a, an NHL spot just because of the things that he brings which is a bit of size, a good net front presence. I think his uh, his uh, penalty killing has been has, has improved significantly, and he does very well on that. And he still has really good hands, so he he's not just an absolute pylon uh, that that you think with well, he's just a big guy. Um, yeah, there were some fun there were some fun plays early on in the season when he was really scoring. There was one where he got a, a just a complete breakout pass in stride from Oscar Bach and he like flipped the puck from one side of his body to the other and just roofed it on the goalie. And you're like, Oh, those are the hands. That's the speed. That's the reach. All of those things put together. And it's like, if you can do that consistently, you're not going to be in Cedar park anymore. That makes a ton of sense. But again, it's about being consistent. You know, he had, it was like five games, uh, five goals in, in a few games early on. And then, you know, just, a string of zeros, right. Of, of not really having any, anything on the offensive score sheet. So, you know, you have to look to other things, as you've mentioned, like penalty killing defensive side of things, um, which he's done decently well on. Um, you know, he's been a series of pluses over the past couple of games here where he's been really, um, uh, the team has been challenged overall, which is a good thing, but you know, what is his slot? He needs to kind of carve that out for himself to get a niche in Dallas. Right. And it's kind of hard with with the way Texas is configured, that if you have guys who have some skills but really need some playmakers around them, that they don't have that many playmakers that are available. So you end up having to play an offensive game that's kind of bludgeoning it into the middle and hack and scratch it into the net. And and so without somebody who can put a pass on tape and allow you to show a little skill, it's kind of hard for a, for a guy who has some skill to demonstrate it because he's never going to be given the opportunity to do it. Yeah. It, it's tough because, you know, it's, it's not an individual sport, right? It's certainly a team game and you need five guys on the ice, six guys on the ice who are going to um, form that team and give you the opportunity to, to demonstrate your skill. And, and, um, you can't do it all, right? I, I look interesting. You mentioned, you know, the players who who are surrounding a player like Tufty or a player like Delandria, um, and, and I look at uh, working on myself right now a, a future watch piece for the Hockey News, and I look at the list of of the ten players that they've given um, on who is going to be, you know, the top ten players in the prospect pool. Only three of them are currently playing with the Texas Stars, and that's Harley, Delandria, and Damiani. The rest are all somewhere else, right? They're in juniors, they're in college, uh, they're overseas. Um, so, you know, the strength of the prospect pool is is high, but it isn't here yet in terms of being in Cedar Park. Um, you look at a guy like Maverick Bork, right, who played a few games with Texas last year and did, I was really impressed by his game uh, overall in the, in, the, in the handful of games that he played. But is he ever going to play another game as a Texas star? I don't know. You know, Wyatt Johnston, same thing. Is he going to be a blue chip prospect that's going to, the, going to come to the Texas Stars? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so that's that tough situation that Dallas is in where they don't have enough of a, uh, a a stable of players in Dallas who can help to push those blue chip prospects down. 
um, into Texas and give them a ton of time, you know, to be those top six guys who are who are top six guys and are going to be top six guys in Dallas. Um, because those top six guys in Dallas, you don't tend to see those guys in Texas. Um, unfortunately, you tend to see the top six guys in Texas end up being bottom six folks in Dallas. Do you think that's a league-wide trend, though, where, you know, guys are staying either in juniors longer or they're making the jump directly to the NHL or they're playing one extra year, at, you know, in the Swedish Elite League or something like that to basically bypass the AHL altogether? I, I almost feel like, well, it depends on the, the philosophy of the organization, right? But we saw it a lot last year where the players who uh, – who didn't have anywhere to play ended up playing in the AHL like Harley, right? He, the OHL didn't play last year. So he ended up playing in the AHL, even though he technically wasn't supposed to uh, due to the AHL uh, uh, CHL transfer rule, not allowing a player to play until they're, they're 20 years old. And there was a lot of talk around the AHL around the league about this had so much benefit to these players because Harley was far from the only player who was in that situation, even on the Stars, right? The Stars had a couple of players who were in that situation. Um, Antonio Stranges, right, is the other one that was that was maybe a little bit more notable um, among them. And that desire to have players in the HL, have players in the professional ranks is really strong just because, as, especially as Dallas has invested more in Texas with having two assistant coaches and Travis Moore and Max Fortunas, having a goalie coach here every single day, having a video coach, having strength and conditioning, all of those things in Texas that they didn't have even five years ago. You want to have the guys in your system. So I think it's a, you got to draft, right, to get those guys to come. But if they can, they want them here, um, at least in my perception of how they'd, how they'd like to have the players be, uh, you know, in Dallas's uh, watchful eye as much as possible. It sounded a little bit like a hands made tale over there. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, well, no, I mean, you know, they they they, they want to make sure their assets mature, uh, those sorts of things. There's no weird rituals, hopefully, involved, but but yes, um, <laughs> they certainly they certainly care a lot about about making sure that uh, uh, the investment pays off. So you know, and just think about the way that the AHL used to used to be. Like even for Texas, when this team started, they had a, a head coach and an assistant coach. And that was it, right? There was no video coach, no goalie coach. Um, you know, JJ McQueen would come down every once in a while, strength and conditioning wise, but that was kind of it. And and the emphasis that the team has placed on the AHL side, um, kind of quietly of adding more resources to to the their plate has been really good uh, for the organization, but they need to obviously have it bear out in terms of results on the ice more. When I guess if, if there was ever a year where it would be nice for Texas to be in the playoffs, um, this would be a great a great year to have some of these prospects be able to come up and get a, get some extra games in at the end of the season uh, once once their CHL uh, playoff days are done. And, yeah, uh, and it doesn't look that way right now. It doesn't really, and and you know you never know because the AHL season is going to go quite a bit longer than originally anticipated, right? They added they added uh, several games uh, on at the end uh, to make up time. And so you may get a situation where a team in Europe or a team in the OHL ends their season in March, and you might get like a month of a player being able to come in, uh, which ain't nothing, 
to be sure. And you'd love a playoff opportunity for them, but the question of how much they play in the playoffs versus if you have some relatively meaningless games at the end of the season uh, where playoffs are out of out of reach. How many games does Maverick Bork play in that scenario versus playing in the scenario where you're fighting for a playoff spot? So if you want to go silver linings on the whole situation, you could say if, you know, Maverick Bork's uh, uh, Q team doesn't make it to the playoffs and, um, you know, Texas also doesn't make it to the playoffs, then you get an opportunity for more professional experience. Um, but at least one of those situations is not probably likely. So, so what what kind of surprises have you seen this year? What what's what's kind of top of your list of things that you weren't expecting at the beginning of the year that have kind of developed? Yeah, you know, I, I we we touched on it very briefly. Um, based on what uh, what I saw last year out of Jordan Kawaguchi at the end of the season in limited work, um, I expected uh, more out of him. You know, like as we said, he scored his first goal tonight, but I was really expecting him to be a lot more of a playmaker. Uh, for the stars, so that's been been an interesting uh, piece of the puzzle. I really did expect that a player like Yehani uh, Aksentiak would be more in the in the mix here in Texas, and he's been he spent pretty much the entire season in Idaho. And then you know the goaltending situation, I think, has been a big surprise for me. As we discussed, I really thought that Ottinger was going to be basically your guy that was going to give you a chance to win every night and just discussing that with some of the staff writers here for 100 degree hockey you know we basically said like you got Ottinger in net every single night you have a chance to win right and it, it turns out that's the case except in the NHL perhaps which is great right but um that put Dallas uh, put Texas in a pretty precarious situation uh, overall and it's just tough um overall because i think the team really signed uh really came into the year as we talked about with pretty high expectations of where they could go re-adding curtis mckenzie you know former captain now captain once again of the team having some veteran leadership returning having returning ahl rookie of the year and it just hasn't panned out that way um and it's really tough especially i think for the coaching staff who has had not had an actual you know, preseason and an actual training camp until this year. Uh, Neil Graham, he, he like he liked to point out, you know, this is the first time he's actually had a full training camp because the first year he was head coach, he took over midseason from Derek Blackstall. The next season, it was the COVID season. And now this is the first time he's had, the team has been fully in his control from day one. Um, but then as we all saw, you know, mid-season, things started piling up with cancellations and taxi squads, and it really isn't in his control anyways. So it's it's been a really tough year, I think, for him, but I do think that the team uh, and the organization is still high on him as a coach, uh, and I, I'm not personally concerned uh, for his tenure with the team at all. That actually leads me to a question I have. The AHL isn't just a pipeline or development track for players, but also for coaching. How do you kind of look at the body of work that Neil Graham has undertaken under all of these insane like circumstances? And and how do you kind of look at his development from a coaching staff? Um, And what do you anticipate his his track to be um, to potentially moving up to the NHL? Honestly, you know, I if I had to put money on it, um, you know, I, I think he's an NHL coach. I really do. I think that he is a guy who 
it's interesting because he never played higher than the ECHL. And I think a lot of times those guys end up being some of the best coaches because they didn't necessarily have uh, the skill to, you know, just get by on the the quality of their play alone. They had to think the game better than the guy next to them um, in order to get to that next level. Um, it's my, my pet theory on why Wayne Gretzky was a terrible hockey coach is because he never had to actually think, you know, about what do you do? It just came to him so naturally. Um, and so for, for Neil Graham, you know, I have just in talking to players, he's coached and talking to people that he's worked with, um, in the, uh, you know, in the front office, other coaches, everybody just says that he has such a great hockey mind and I can hear it personally when I talk to him in the, in the answers that he gives, you know, he never talks down to, to us in the media or anything like that. He really gives us, you know, the straight dope on, you know, what happened on this play and, he you could tell that his mind is going just a mile a minute in terms of the way that he is breaking down the game. Um, and he's done a really great job of instilling that in some of the younger players that he has as well. Um, I think it's too early to probably talk about him making it into the NHL, in my personal estimation. But I think that that is his future. Uh, I think that he wants to go in that direction. He, you know, would I've asked him about it. He won't admit it, of course, because he's. Uh, quite humble about it and everything. Uh, but he definitely wants to move move in that direction. And uh, I think that Dallas is similar to what you saw, you know, what you see with, with you know, picking up a, a quality uh, free agent or, you know, a first-round draft pick or whatever and, and developing them over time so that they can take over eventually. Like, that's what you're doing with a player like uh, – or a coach like Neil Graham, right? Um, you're trying to put him in a position where when you have an opening – when, you know, Rick Bonus is no longer the coach of the Dallas Stars or, and, you know, maybe the next one after that or something like that. Like you have a succession plan in place um, so you don't leave yourself high and dry and you're having to go find somebody out on the free uh, free agent market for coaches as well. So that's one of my my big pet theories is that Neil Graham could be the next big thing that the Texas Stars graduate out of the AHL personally. I, 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 I can I would buy that. I would buy that theory and it may not be, it's not probably going to be a head coach, right? Obviously he doesn't have that bench experience, but you know, you have a guy like, I mean, heck, let's look at like Derek Laxall or something like that. Like let's say Derek Laxall is the next head coach of the Dallas stars. Who's he going, what going to want on his bench as an assistant the guy that he pulled out of Idaho, Neil Graham. Right. And, and the team knows him, the organization knows him. I feel like that's a, a a pretty strong theory of the case in terms of what could come next for, for the Texas stars and the Dallas stars. Um, I don't know what that means for the Texas stars, whether you're going to see head coach Travis Morin or head coach Maxime Fortunas. I don't know if they're quite ready for that yet, but, um, but I, I really think Neil Graham star is, is on the rise um, despite the results of the season. I don't think that's how they're necessarily measuring his success, especially in just the craziness of this year for the AHL. Not just this year, but like his whole, his entire time as a head coach, like he has yet to have an actual true regular season. That's actually, it's absolutely true. It, like three years in, he has had no normalcy in any way, shape or form, um, you know, between uh, having games canceled due to COVID or travel restrictions or winter freezes and taxi squads, COVID just in general. Uh, it's amazing, you know, that well, that we're all still standing in a lot of ways, but also that, you know, this team and, and the sport of hockey has been able to do what it's been able to do. And, and he's, um, you know, I, I also like to point out, like, he's in his 30s, right? He's 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 mid 30s. And so he's got a lot of room to grow 
know, if it's not this year, then next year. And he, he'll be on lists, I think, of, of players, of, of coaches to pluck um, in the future. I know he made at least one potential assistant list, I think, last summer um, just as a flyer. So, you know, there's there's opportunities out there for him. Uh, and you want to try and keep him in the Dallas system for sure. Well, and I would argue that this is kind of business as usual for him because when, when he was in Idaho, he had to book his own uh, his own travel for the team. So he's kind of used to having to do everything. Yeah, the role of a of an Idaho of a of an ECHL GM slash head coach is absurd. I I, yeah. I don't know how those guys um, do what they do. Um, it's certainly a thankless job in a lot of ways. Uh, booking your own travel and dealing with uh, immigration and naturalization stuff and all the travel. It, it's it's an incredible role. And if you ever have a chance to to talk to him or anyone who's had that role about it, um, they certainly have stories to tell um, because they they lived it on the front lines. It's incredible. Well, let's let's try and leave this on a positive note. Uh, what 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 good news can you give us, Stephen, that that will make us uh, Dallas Stars fans uh, look forward to the next half of the year? That is an interesting question. Um, Certainly, I, I think that one thing that you can look forward to, if you go look at the standings, and this is what, as we just talked about, Neil Graham really harps on whenever I talk to him every week. Dallas or Texas has a lot of games left to play. They're, they have one of the fewest games played in their division. They have a lot of games in hand. And as we've seen, they're capable of going on streaks. They're capable of doing all the things they need to do to put together a lot of wins in a row. The thing that I would say that is a further positive addition on that is, as I mentioned uh, just in passing, the AHL has some pretty weird playoff qualification rules this year uh, where they're trying to get more teams into the playoffs. And so the fifth place team in this division that the Stars are in, the Central Division, will qualify for the playoffs and do a play-in round against the fourth place team in the Central. Uh, So all you got to do is make it to fifth. You don't have to make it to fourth. So that's one fewer team to have to vault over. Um, So, you know, if they can go on streaks here toward the end, they'll have a lot of head-to-head games against the teams that they're actually trying to compete against, um, including Grand Rapids, who's in sixth, uh, just ahead of them. And as we look at it, they've just completed a 3-1 victory over the Grand Rapids Griffins. So that's another one in the bank, two more points. Um, and so that's that's a strong thing to look for is, you know, how can this team scratch and claw to get into the playoffs? Because it's certainly something they're going to need in terms of their skills and their toolbox um, as all these players and coaches make it into the NHL of how do you grind out, you know, the last 30 games of the season to make sure that you're the one above the above the cutoff line. The, any any good news for Dallas Stars fans? Um, I would say that the wow. development that. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I, Mark. It's it's tough uh, because we're we're we've talked about this season and this the expectations that this team has has not met. It's really it's tough, right, um, for Dallas Stars fans to to look at this roster and see and see positives. I would say that the main the main positives that I would look to is if you can get continued development out of some of the players that we talked about, who were those somewhat unknowns, uh, you know. That we we didn't know what to expect from them. The Bach, Carlstrom, um, not exactly Tufty, but he's been in that in that kind of lineup in that bottom six. You'll have a really nice setup for next season, and you'll have some really strong call up possibilities uh, that you can that you can call on for uh, Dallas Stars fans in the future. I, I want to see what they're able to do 
as they continue to, sh continue to shuffle the lines. And, you know, as things may or may not drift away from them um, toward the back, back of the season, you know, that's when things tend to get a little wild in terms of lineups in the AHL. You might bring more, more players in. And, and I think that, um, uh, you know, giving those guys some more experience, perhaps in the top six, could be a possibility that Dallas fans might want to watch out for as well. Any last thoughts, Taylor? No, I just want to say, Stephen, we absolutely love the covers that you guys put out there day after day about the Texas Stars, keeping us informed about the farm system. Um, I know it isn't said often enough, but just know that we read you all the time. We love y'all's work, and I love you. I miss you, friends. Thanks. Appreciate it, and Taylor. It, and remember to mention 100-degree hockey. Yes, 100-degree hockey is where you can come, both on Twitter uh, and obviously on the website. You know, tweet us if you have any questions or anything. One of the nice things, uh, as uh, Mark mentioned at the beginning of the call, uh, I am a credentialed member of the media, as are, as are my staff writers. And, you know, if you ask us during the middle of the game, hey, you know, for example, tonight, where's Nick Camano? Can you ask Coach Graham about that? Guess who's going to talk to Coach Graham at the end of the game and ask that question for you? So, you know, hey, you got a direct line, so might as well tweet me and uh, ask me any questions that you have, um, you know, within reason uh, about what's going on with the team. If you see something I don't, you know, it's it's great to uh, to be able to have that interaction, and we really love interacting with the fans because you guys are just so passionate about the team and notice all sorts of things that that you know may pass our pass us by um so let us know ask those questions and and really interact because i think that's one of the benefits of the ahl is you just get just a step closer uh to the team and the and, and the coaching staff and such than you can get in the nhl so certainly take advantage of it well i can't thank you enough for uh, coming on Stephen. uh no, we try and do this, uh, oh, hopefully at least twice a year. Maybe if we can snag you one more time before the end of the year, it'd be wonderful. But again, 100-degree hockey, uh, great resource for Texas Stars. And if you're a Dallas Stars fan, you need to be a Texas Stars fan. Hopefully we'll have a ton of great things to talk about next time we come on. We'll be talking about playoffs. We'll be talking about crazy scoring streaks and point streaks for all the Dallas Stars prospects here in Cedar Park. I love it. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks, Taylor. And as always, thanks, KT. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.